With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Discussing pressing issues. The Aussie Cossack on today's News Talk Radio. TNT. Welcome back to the Aussie Cossack Show on TNT Radio. I'm your host, Simeon Boykov, broadcasting live from the Russian consulate. Uh, for the 11th and a half month, we're going to be approaching our one-year anniversary soon. For those of you who don't know and you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. This is uh, Sydney's most illegal and most controversial radio program, broadcasting uh, legally or semi-legally. depends which side of the uh, barrier you're on, but it's certainly very frustrating uh, to the government and the police, I would imagine, to have the Aussie Cossack on the loose on the airwaves, uh, inflicting as much damage against the government narrative as possible what are we talking about the government narrative well stay tuned over the next two hours to find out everything to do with freedom of speech defending uh, us against them and defending uh, australia's freedom defending uh, the world's freedom because we know that australia the australian government is just part of a globalist uh, group of governments including the biden government in uh, harassing everyday mums and dads just like you guys listening who just want to get along with their lives and leave a better life for their children of course that seems to be getting worse and worse in Australia with the cost of living with uh, everything getting more difficult for normal people to go along with unfortunately Uh, but stay tuned we're having a few guests tonight we'll have uh, quite shortly joining me uh, the uh, former advisor or personal assistant to the father of Julian Assange John Shipman her name is Rain Sinclair uh, she's an activist uh, fighting government censorship uh, for the last 15 years, I believe. We'll speak to her soon. We'll, scro- we'll cross to a few uh, of our regulars around the country. We'll be speaking with Syrian Girl. Uh, she'll be joining us about the latest intel from the front lines uh, with the Israel and Palestine war. Do you notice how some people try to call it the Israel-Hamas war? Well, no, I call it the Israel-Palestine war because who is actually... Uh, copying all of the damage and the full front assault of the Israeli army. Well, yes, you guessed correctly. It's not Hamas. It's, of course, the Palestinian people. Uh, Turkey this week, the Turkish president uh, making some very direct accusations at the Israeli government uh, in regard to their nuclear weapons program, saying that uh, there is not a stone upon a stone left in Gaza. The frontline situation in uh, the Ukraine NATO Russia conflict is developing in the Avdiivsky, Avdiivka, the front line. The army of Russia is attacking, trying to break through to the Coke factory from the side of the Terracon. What's a Terracon? Well, that's those very large uh, piles of material, dirt, and so forth that they dig up and they look like pyramids because uh, that's where all the mining is and the coal mining in the Donbass. Uh, something you'll see if you ever go there, dotted around uh, the area. But because it's a very industrial area, it's hard for Russia to break through those areas where the Ukrainians have dug in since 2014. They've been holding uh, those areas just outside Donetsk. In the Artyomovsk direction, Artyomovsk, of course, is the former city of Bakhmut, which Russia has now taken. But the Russian military is having great success to the north. There, the Russian military managed to conduct a surprise counterattack and advance in the area of the Birkhov Reservoir. Also, the Russian military are fighting for the dominant heights around Klishevka, the territory which is now considered a grey zone, or 
Another word for that would be no man's land, uh, changing hands and no particular side having an advantage. But in terms of um, the conflict for Zelensky, it's not looking good. Zelensky this week admitting that uh, there is a shortage of shells and the Western sponsors, the Western backers, uh, blaming that shortage in delivery of ammunitions on another priority, which is called the Israel-Palestine conflict. Unfortunately for Zelensky, that conflict takes more precedence. Viktor Orban, the Hungarian president, uh, has declared that the West's initial strategy for supporting Ukraine has failed and the Ukrainians will not win on the battlefield. Uh, big credit to Viktor Orban being one of the uh, few leaders in the European Union who's able to uh, say it how it is and he's not afraid to challenge the narrative of NATO. And he's underscored that many people have died and the Ukrainian losses are huge. And it is a, first and foremost a tragedy. Viktor Orban underscoring that the West is providing money and military equipment uh, because they thought that they expected that there would be a realistic chance that uh, Ukraine could win on the front line. This obviously now uh, is not the case. The great counteroffensive, quote unquote, that uh, was expected to bring about a Ukrainian victory has all but uh, failed. And this uh, scenario, this unrealistic scenario that the, now the West is putting to the Ukrainians uh, just means that more and more Ukrainians will die. And you know what? At the moment, the way it looks like, they don't really have many Ukrainians left, which is a tragedy because, you know, in Ukraine, before the war, there were 29 million Russians, ethnic Russians. So a lot of these people that they're actually drafting and mobilizing into the Ukrainian army are not even Ukrainian Ukrainians um, by ethnicity at all. Remember, back in the beginning of the conflict, Vladimir Putin stated that the main aims and the goals of the conflict were to denazify and to demilitarize uh, Ukraine. Well, you could say that those goals are being achieved because since the 2014 beginning of hostilities, where Ukraine under President Poroshenko launched the anti-terrorist operation or the ATO, as it was known, not to be confused with the Australian tax office, of course, the ATO in Ukraine uh, had thousands and thousands or tens of thousands of of soldiers, Ukrainian Nazi fighters fighting for it. Of those original veterans from the ATO, the anti-terrorist operation since 2014, only 2% remain alive. So in one way, Putin has achieved the goal of denazifying Ukraine. The hardest, hardcore Nazis that were there from the beginning, uh, attacking the Donetsk and the Dulgansk areas, have all been liquidated. So in a way, that has been a successful outcome for the Russians, and that, that was one of their main goals. The devastation that, of course, uh, is uh, being caused is uh, on a, uh, of course, large level. I mean, the front line stretches out more than uh, 1,000 kilometers. It's the largest front line anywhere in the world since 1945, anywhere of any battle of any war that we've seen. However, the Russians are very limited in what they deploy, what they use, and the kind of uh, tactics they deploy compared to, for example, Israel, who just unleashes a full-blown war with no reservations and not a care in the world for the local civilian population. Ukrainian prisoners of war describing uh, how they uh, are surrendering, and many of these prisoners of war who are surrendering through the Russians are actually then joining Russian uh, units, being uh, offered the chance to leave captivity and fight for Russia, many of them taking that up. Uh, Vladimir Putin this week was uh, very, very uh, witty and funny at the St. Petersburg Cultural Forum, where he uh, 
caused the crowd to burst into laughter when he was talking about uh, the different names of the uh, alphabet soup movement. Uh, he talked about transgenders and transformers, which was quite hilarious. I mean, any other Western leader would say that. That would be all over the news. But in Russia, of course, that's absolutely normal to have a alternative outlook on all of this nonsense. Vladimir Putin also at the St. Petersburg Cultural Forum yesterday uh, declared that uh, any conflict between Russia and Ukraine before 2014, he couldn't even imagine it was possible. Uh, there was peace. There was a uh, fantastic lasting peace until 2014. And Vladimir Putin himself uh, admitting or announcing that it's quite unexpected. Being at the uh, plenary session of the St. Petersburg International Cultural Forum, many guests, international guests were attending from different uh, cultural organizations around the world. Vladimir Putin uh, commenting on the place of Russian culture in the world uh, said that we want to learn from the accomplishments of our partners while keeping our own traditions. The president also added that people who are trying to prohibit uh, Slavic culture are simply idiots and not normal people. Uh, Vladimir Putin also said that attempts to cancel Russian culture worldwide have failed, and those who try to destroy bridges between nations are narrow-minded and uncultured. Well, I guess in this instance, Vladimir Putin is directly addressing people like uh, the Labor South Australian government's Minister for Multicultural Affairs, Zoe Bedison. Zoe Bedison, uh, if I can remind you, was the uh, brilliant Multicultural Affairs Minister who banned Russian kids dancing and Russian women from attending the uh, South Australian Multicultural Festival. Well, wasn't that a flop? And that was a great success last week uh, where that occurred. Uh, congratulations to everyone involved in that. It was an excellent, excellent uh, event. And those people that supported that event, uh, you'll be pat on the back and congratulated. And I'm sure in future, if you ever want to do business with Russia, if you ever want to uh, do business with any Russian entities, large entities, and you supported that event, that'll also be a very good feather in your hat, a notch in your belt that you got behind, voluntarily got behind uh, such a good cause of supporting uh, the defense of Russian children and their right to be heard and their right to sing and dance and display their culture. And Russia is an interesting country and the Russian people have a long memory. Those who support Russia during the difficult times, during times where the whole world is against Russia, will surely be remembered, will surely be thanked, and doors will be open to, th to those people who have been on the right side of history. Uh, Russia is open for doing business. Uh, also this week, Russian troops captured a Ukrainian military chart of allowed Nazi insignia for Ukrainian troops to wear on their uniforms in Avdiivka. Outrageous. So this is uh, a document which has been captured from the uh, Ukrainian soldiers, and it's basically got Nazi insignia, swastikas, and this is the recommended allowed insignia that the Ukrainian military officially, SS symbols. I mean, does anyone really out there still think that there are no Nazis in Ukraine? The evidence is overwhelming, but people like Albanese and Joe Biden know this, and they continue. They continue uh this uh funding and this support of ukraine arming ukraine although it is getting less and less and less some countries of course are maintaining their strong support to ukraine such as finland who just sent another package of military assistance to kiev totaling more than 1.5 billion euros you think these european countries are all going broke and the cost of living is through the roof they've still got money everywhere available for these types of things well, Russia will not forgive traitors, says Dmitry Peskov, the Kremlin's spokesperson. This is uh, Vladimir Putin's mouthpiece, his official mouthpiece. 
And he says that some people who left the country at the beginning of hostilities, beginning of the special operation, and started bad-mouthing their motherland from overseas, speaking wrongly about their motherland, it would be very difficult for those people to come back because many people held the line. They stayed in Russia, they defended Russia, and even those people overseas defended Russia and supported Russia. Uh, as we know, many Australians in the beginning of the special military operation were actually supporting the Russian side, with thousands of Aussies marching in neutrality marches around the country against the Scott Morrison government and the Albanese government, respectively, supplying uh, Australian weapons, money and ammunition, drones, armoured personnel carriers and so forth to the Zelensky regime. Dmitry Peskov directly addressing those Russians who took the opportunity to backstab their motherland. Right, those people on social media, and if you're listening, you know who I'm talking about. We've all seen them on Twitter, on Facebook, and all these other platforms. People with Russian names, Russian last names, who claim they come from Russia, were taking the opportunity to backstab Russia. SBS Radio Russia, I'm talking to you. You know who I'm talking about. If you're listening to this, you should have a lump in your throat, and you should have a guilty conscience, because guess what? The doors are closed to you forever. And if you should wish to visit Russia, uh, you'll have a very nice stay in a Siberian gulag, I could imagine, after your comments. I mean, these are people, Russian people overseas, out of cowardice, out of betrayal. We're calling upon the killing of Russian soldiers. I mean, how dare you? Your country is fighting the globalists. Your country was fighting 35 NATO-plus countries, and you took it upon yourself to be a coward, to be a wolf, to be a wimp, to be just an outright traitor. Well, Dmitry Peskov has announced that Russia will not forgive these traitors. I quote, the Russian people will always take back those who are confused or were confused, but they will not accept those who betrayed their motherland. This was said in an interview with the uh, MGMO, the MGMO University, uh, by the President's Press Secretary, Dmitry Peskov commenting on how he feels about people who overseas, Russian people overseas, how they behave towards Russia. Of course, these people now are singing, singing a different tune. These people now are singing a different tune. They're very quiet. They've changed their tone. They've realized that Russia's not going to lose any war. Russia was never going to lose a war. I can put my hand on my heart, guys, and I can say, if you've been listening to this show, that I never had any reservations. I never doubted that Russia was winning and going to win, and they now still, to this day, hold a massive strategic amount of territory. They've secured a land corridor to the Crimea. If that is not a win, I don't know what is. I mean, what what do they, what do, what do the Western commentators expect? Do they expect a win to look like the Russian military occupying Berlin and raising the uh, Russian uh, victory banner on the Reichstag again, in, like they did in 9th of May 1945? Is that what you want to see? Well, if that's what you want to see and that's what you miss, uh, that's unfortunate. That's why people in Russia celebrate the 9th of May, as to not remember. And the fact that in Eastern Europe, they are destroying monuments, they are blowing up monuments to uh, the victims of Nazism and the heroes and the liberators of uh, the concentration camps and th those Red Army soldiers who fought their way inch by inch, meter by meter, all the way from the outskirts of Moscow to the Silo Heights in Berlin. Well, the fact that they are forgetting that memory, well, perhaps they are suggesting, they are wanting, asking uh, asking fate, asking God to send them a reminder, or in this place, the Russian military to send them a reminder. Those who forget will be reminded. And guess what? The reminder will look like very something very similar to what happened in 1945. Let's Hope it doesn't get there. 
we'll, look, we're going to go to a very quick break, but we've got so much news to get through today. There's uh, news all around the world uh, in the international news, but I want to speak to some local experts of ours, and we'll uh, speak on the other side of this break to uh, Rain Sinclair with her comments about uh, uh, the McBride case, which was uh, in the courts yesterday. Mr. McBride, Major McBride, pleading guilty, of course, to three counts of unlawfully sharing secret intelligence, exposing Australian Army war crimes in Afghanistan. Uh, stay right there. We're back with you after this break on TNT Radio. You should hear what Greg Maybury is talking about. We talk of an impending third world war reaching fever at the pitch. Perhaps it's time for us all to come to terms with some little known history regarding the causes of the first two. Our past is not quite as cut and dried as our history books would have us all believe, which is an understatement of epic dimensions. I know this because I used to teach history. Although I wasn't aware of it at the time, I now know pretty much well everything that I ever taught my students about both wars was uh, a distortion of the truth at best, if not an outright lie, via omission of inconvenient facts and realities. And the historical record was compiled to distort the truth, thereby keeping it hidden from future generations, and I might add there too from perhaps future history teachers like myself and those to come. The bottom line is that the great powers that be, past and present, do not want the critical masses discovering who the really bad guys were or are, what motivated them to instigate these wars, and how they were able to pull it all off without people smelling a rat. This so they could do it all over again when they deemed the occasion demanding it. And it now seems like that occasion has arrived again. The No Fly Zone with Greg Maybury on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans, that's real. That's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to TNT Radio. Ozzy Kozak with you uh, for this Saturday night. Uh, going for the next 1.5 hours, uh, bouncing around the world, accepting your views, your opinions, and I'm ready to hear your abuse and any of your uh, challenges that you want to put to me on 1-800-670-310. I know Dan from New South Wales is listening, who rang up the uh, Lembert OPIC show l- earlier this week, having a go at uh, me uh, for what he uh, interpreted to be uh, some disrespect towards Pauline Hanson. Well, I'd love to talk about that, Dan, if you're listening. Uh, Paul from Mornington and all the rest of our regulars, give us a call. Let's uh, hear your opinions on what I have to say. Again, I don't want yes men. I, I, I do want yes men. You can ring up and you can agree. But what I love even better, if someone doesn't agree and we can have some bantam, we can really uh, have some good old talkback radio, like the days uh, when I was younger growing up listening to the uh, mainstream radio stations. I mean, you don't even get that these days anymore. There's so much censorship and the Major networks are so afraid of, of real opinions of real people speaking their mind on the air that talkback radio is almost non-existent. But here at TNT Radio, the home of free speech, uh, we're ready to listen to what you have to say. So give us a call. 1-800-670-310 is the open line number. Speaking of free speech, we're joined by Rain Sinclair, the former PA, personal assistant to the Assange's uh, John Shipton, the father of Assange, the Assange team. If you've ever seen the Assange bus, the free Assange bus driving around Melbourne, Sydney, or Canberra at rallies and at um, 
protests. Well, that's Rain Sinclair. Rain, welcome to TNT Radio. Hi, thank you for having me. Rain, tell us where it all started. Uh, for those of you, for those of us listeners uh, who are not aware of your profile, how did you get into the game, the freedom fighting game? Well, I think I consider myself lucky that my mother was, um, she never bowed down to authority. So I, I think it started with her. When I was a child, we lived in Fiji. I'm the youngest of 12, big Māori family, uh, Dad, we we would call Dad European, but we don't actually. He's a white guy, but I don't. We don't know where he came from because he was adopted, right? So he marries my mother. Both their families rejected them because you got black marrying white. Neither liked each other. We ended up in Fiji, and there was a. Uh, my dad became a construction foreman, and there was a young girl there, Fiji and Indian girl. A dwarf. I don't know what the appropriate word is these days. She doesn't mind us calling her a dwarf, little person. She was being really abused. Um, she, because you know, over in Fiji, they really look down on anyone born with deformities or anything like that. So she got put in an orphanage and was being abused by all around her. She'd be down in the river washing everyone's clothes with one of those old wooden washboards, five or six years old. So my mother took her under her wing. Cut a long story short, my mother smuggled her back to New Zealand. I have a joke. My mother is a people smuggler. She brought her back to New Zealand on uh, my sister's passport on a boat. My sister came back on the plane with dad. So, And back then, you, you're just on your parents' passport. So we arrived back in New Zealand, 1976. I was four. We were locked down in our house. I'd love to get my hands on the old newspapers. They've got to be archived somewhere. Uh, we had authorities come around. My mother back then answered the door with a meat cleaver, tough Māori woman, you know, telling them all to F off. You're not taking this child. And uh, she ended up winning citizenship for this, this girl that became our sister. So that is how the fight in my family began. The defiance, the defiance of yeah, authority. The defiance of choosing what's right over what's law. So you never had a problem with challenging authorities. And fast forward to um, when you moved to Australia, how did you get involved in the Assange uh, inner team, the core team? How did you end up becoming the personal assistant to Assange's father, John Shipton. Uh, so that was, I've always been an anti-war activist, um, done a lot of refugee stuff. And when Julian came out, when WikiLeaks broke out on the scene, I was like, oh, my God, here we've got evidence because we only ever used to speculate and, and we thought we knew what was happening, but we had no evidence. And he came out with this evidence that just blew all our minds of, like, I don't say hero lightly, but this man's a goddamn hero. He's, he's exposed it. He didn't make any money out of it. He could have been the next Bill Gates, but no, he gave us the facts of what our governments are doing. And, and I really loved that he would um, send a team to Afghanistan, for example, and give the people their history. And I started reading about that. He was giving them back their dignity. And I realised it went so much further than just exposing war crimes. Um, he was saving their history and showing the world what was really going on. So I just started out basically one woman on a corner with a sign and there's so many women around the country that were doing this but we didn't know each other. Um, and then I hooked up with an anti-war crew, lefty crew in Melbourne here 
um, not socialists, but they were, you know, embedded in the left in Trades Hall. They were doing a lot of actions at Pine Gap, stuff like that. And one of them um, was friends with John Shipton. So in 2016, we got wind that the old Royal Women's Hospital in Melbourne was going, was bought out by Lockheed Martin. Well, it was actually bought by Melbourne Uni, but Lockheed Martin was going to turn it into a weapons research laboratory. So we had this plan that our five of us were going to go up there. We were going to sneak in there. We're going to get up on the roof, drop some giant banners, right, um, to protest. And the friend of ours that knew John Shipton, John through John got hold of Julian and Julian was doing, um, what do you call it, a Skype showing at the town hall. And this is when Julian Assange was still free and on the streets of Australia. No, this was when he was taken into the embassy. Oh, so he was still uh, socially, uh, you could say, active from within the embassy. Yeah, yeah. He, embassy. Was still, he was still working in the embassy and he was still doing these live crosses, right? So that D night... Trust me, trust me, I know all about that. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're living it. You're living the dream. <laughs> so, um, I, ju I just wish Julian uh, defected to the Russians. The Russians would never have given him up. They would have given him citizenship and he would have been uh, throwing a borscht on the barbie every Friday afternoon together with the diplomats instead of uh, being under pressure by the Ecuadorians. It's a shame, isn't it, how it all panned out. But he did do six years, didn't he, in the Ecuadorian embassy? Seven and a half years, and you're not the only person to say that. I meet a lot of supporters, everyone saying, why didn't he go to Russia? Yeah. Well, is, is it true that he had actually advised Edward Snowden to defect to Russia? Yeah, you know about the story. They helped him. You know, um, uh, Sarah Harrison, former girlfriend and colleague of Julian, was the one that met him in Hong Kong and travelled with him to Russia and stayed with him there in the airport while they were in transit. So without Julian, Edward would have never got out. Well, it's a shame that uh, that's the case. Who knows how it's all going to pan out, but it would be a absolute uh, tragedy for humanity if Julian Assange would die in custody, or even of natural causes, uh, even yeah. not something nefarious, but there is every chance that he may die of natural causes because being in a cell without sunlight, I mean, I did it for four months, but for him to be there for how many years has it now been? Uh, so four and a half years in Belmarsh mm -hmm. and seven and a half years in the embassy. Mm -hmm. So you're looking at around 12 years, most of that without sunlight. Without vitamin D, it's essential. Yes. Uh, and the, the mental health factor is a serious factor. So, And what, why? why? For, te for telling the truth, for exposing the crimes of the uh, American regime, similar to very much similar to uh, Major McBride, whose yeah. court case you were at yesterday. I understand you were there at the Supreme Court. You travelled uh, to uh, the court. Oh, no, you weren't there. You were just keeping an eye on it. Uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. No, yeah, um, a few of us travelled there. We were there. We put on an event, a music event for him the day before. That was just to get people to come to Canberra. And then we were there um, for the trial. I, I came home on Wednesday and there's a ground crew there. Um, but it's crazy. It's sort of like what's... What David is doing is the same as Julian in that they not only exposed war crimes, they're now exposing the justice system for what it really is. Julian's exposed the British justice system, as corrupt as F-U-C-K, and uh, David now, we're seeing what the justice system in Australia is.
Yeah. And it's all a shame. I understand that it, it was a strategic move to plead guilty because he was restricted in what evidence he could give. But if I can use my own example, uh, if I could go back and rewind, I would have pled not guilty. Because the great thing about pleading not guilty is that it's up to then the prosecutor, it's up to the uh, the Crown to prove the case against you. And you can have a lot of fun with that, especially when it's such a sensitive issue dealing with uh, these crimes that were committed essentially by the Australian government, uh, the Australian Defence Force being an arm of the Australian government. These They would have been very uncomfortable. It would have been an extremely uncomfortable uh, trial process. Could you just imagine a very long, drawn-out hearing, the subpoena uh, process of who knows what types of uh, stakeholders, witnesses, and characters within the case, people from the Defence Force, people from the government, ex-colleagues and so forth, people involved in cover-ups, and that would have been something outrageous. By, by looking at it from the side, and no, I haven't spoken to uh, Major McBride and... I'm sure his uh, lawyer, who's also my lawyer, by the way, Mark Davies, who was also at one stage Assange's lawyer. I don't know why, but I keep mentioning that all roads lead to Rome, but in Australia, all roads lead to Mark Davies. Mark, if you're listening, there's a shout out for you. Xenophon Davies solicitors, the best lawyers in town. But he advised uh, McBride to plead guilty because there was no room to move. And it's a shame because that would have been an interesting trial. Uh, McBride would have been able to bring about all of this evidence, bring about all these people in. And from the side, I mean, you can probably guess what I'm going to say next. It Maybe it looks like there was a deal struck because he was given bail. I mean, if these charges were so, so, so serious, three charges of divulging national secrets and uh, secret information and so forth, he gets bail. Amazing. I mean, amazing. I mean, you know, in the western suburbs of Sydney, if you slam the door in your ex, you know, girlfriend's face, you'll get a two-year jail sentence, bail denied. But if you spill government secrets, oh yeah, we'll give him bail. But the thing is, the prosecution did not oppose bail, which was That's most right. amazing. So even they, they said, "We're not opposing bail." So if it's such a serious crime, if what he's done is so outrageous and so terrible, you'd think they'd oppose bail. Yes which, of course, opposing bail means to leave him in jail until sentencing, sentencing being in 2024, yet they didn't do that. And, of course, if the prosecution doesn't oppose bail, why should the uh, court, why should the Supreme Court then uh, knock bail back if the prosecution is not asking for uh, an opposition to bail? Uh, I think, and I'm sure we can all guess, read between the lines, that perhaps there is some... I've got to be careful when I say this. I don't want to offend yeah. anyone in the process, but we can all understand what may have gone on here. They realise that by having a hearing, by having a huge trial, there's going to be so much embarrassing information. I mean, 90% of the information in that trial would have been redacted anyway, uh, citing uh, uh, secret secrecy and government uh, censorship and public interest to not have that information present, and we know that for a fact. However, it would have been a lot of embarrassing revelations. I mean, even the non-secret information and bringing in the witnesses. How many defence brass could have been called in? You could have literally called in the head of the defence force. You could have called in Angus Campbell. You could have called in uh, all of the officers and the generals and the uh, who were in charge at that time and put them on the stand and cross-examine them. And that would have been an extremely difficult process if you were the Commonwealth. So I guess by pleading guilty, McBride has... Um, Really done them a massive favour, and I'm sure they've uh, breathed a sigh of relief, wouldn't you say, um, in Canberra? And yeah, I agree. 
and they've reciprocated by saying, yeah, no worries, yeah, we'll, we'll, we don't oppose bail. <laughs> well, hang on a second, you don't oppose bail, that means he's going to walk. That means once the sentencing gets there, there's probably no pros prospects of him going to jail. Let's hope, let's hope if a deal has been struck, and I know Mark Davies is a very talented solicitor. He's been in the game for a long time. He's actually the one who managed to win my appeal. If you recall, I was given a 10-month sentence for breaching a suppression order, dropping one name, one name. A first name and a last name was dropped by me, right? Ten months they gave me. Mark Davies managed to get me out after four months. That's how long it took to wait for the appeal. And the day of the appeal, bang, I was out of there. I walked very happy, uh, happy as Larry to get out of jail. Uh, but Mark Davies knows the game and they know him and they know the fact that uh, the media, including the left media, including the ABC itself, were very sympathetic to McBride. I mean, uh, you were there, you saw outside the courtroom. Uh, what was the media presence like outside the Supreme Court? They were sympathetic, you know, um, but they just wanted their headlines as well. You know, next week, David won't be on the headlines anymore. I always remember that. Mm. Consortium News has been the best media organisation. A lot of people never heard of them, but they're the only ones reporting daily from court um, and every night staying up late to give us a report of, uh, a summary a summary of what happened that day um i agree with what you said it's it's a like i of course we support david whatever he does whatever he chooses but um it is a shame that we aren't going to get all these others in there because i i wondered i've asked a couple of lawyers how do we hold these others to account because we always seem to be on the back foot we're always defending 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 how who holds them to account how do we how do we get them tried you know the generals the people that were aware the ben robert smiths how do we get them in there who who presses charges against these people oh they'll look they'll walk scot-free just imagine if they're so secretive about this imagine the archives of the defense force of the intelligence agencies and so forth how much more dirt are they hiding there must be truckloads of suppressed yeah. information, truckloads of names, deeds, scenarios, crimes, scams, schemes, uh, scandals, all sorts of things that they have been they've been involved in over the years. And you know, it's like an iceberg. McBride was probably zero point zero zero one percent of mm -hmm. what's really out there. And look how read up and how defensive they got over this. I'm sure they're very pleased that he pled guilty. But look, um, you know, we we can't put ourselves in David's shoes. And he, he made whatever decision he thought was correct. And we just wish him the best. Whatever the outcome is, guilty or not guilty, we know that he's not guilty. We know that he's a hero. We know that he did no crime, just as Julian Assange did no crime. And generations uh, ahead of us, in 50 years, 100 years' time, will look back on this and say, shame on the Australian government. I mean, it's not the first time the Australian government has apologised for its actions. You know, Reconciliation Day and Sorry Day and whatever, what not day. There's plenty of situations where Australian government has got it wrong. Uh, at least in our generation, they don't look like they're going to admit it. We'll have to wait and see what happens later down the track. But uh, things are changing. And the government also was probably very afraid of the public opinion. They were afraid of the concept of perhaps the media teaming up with protesters, with public opinion being at its lowest, Albanese's ratings at their lowest, trust to the government uh, at its lowest. People simply do not trust anything the government is putting forward these days, uh, which is great, which is great. And the government has dug its own hole there. We still haven't got retribution from the days of COVID and the people dying from That's vaccines right. and vaccine injuries. I mean, I was yeah. thinking about it today, Rain.
uh, you you would have you would have uh, been aware of the Aussie Cossacks uh, uh, YouTube channel, which is where my sort of uh, notoriety had its roots. And that yes. channel was taken down of all things. You know, one thousand videos, uh, 40, 50, 60 million views, uh, even more across other platforms. And it was taken down for what reason? For medical misinformation. Yes. For for simply reposting. This is this is the thing. Simply reposting a video from the Senate. Uh, during question time where the Australian Bureau of Statistics official statistics were quoted in relation to excess deaths, right? Excess deaths. You cannot hide these facts. And I look forward to a day down the future. I'm, I'm going to probably ask Mark Davies, let's start up a legal process. Let's take uh, Google, YouTube to court uh, and say, well, how can you say this is misinformation if it's fact? And I'd love yes. for this to get to a court yes. situation because, look, I'll say it on the air. I'll be completely honest about it. That YouTube channel was such a great channel. It was bringing in like $25,000, $30,000 a month just yeah. from money and views, right? And, of course, I was using that back into the movement, sponsoring stages, sponsoring yes. sound systems and free barbecues and water for yeah. the people and security guards and the port and everything for the big rallies that we're having. My wife yeah. thought I was a lunatic, but I thought, well, this, you know, <laughs> easy come, easy go from the YouTube views. It yeah, sort of belongs yeah. to the people. So... If you if you look at it that way, they took away that it's a it was a business, and just as many other businesses who suffered, that YouTube channel was a business. It was a you know registered uh, as a business and making income, taken down off the air. So what about backdating? Backdating since those days, all those months in YouTube royalties, if you're looking yes. at half a million dollars, yes. and all I have to do is prove in court to say. Well, was it medical misinformation or was it not? Did YouTube get it wrong? You tell me honestly, anyone out there, even the people who are pro-vax have to admit that there was a spike in uh, an unusual and unexplained spike in deaths. Uh, the media itself knows this now. The government knows this. They are paying millions of dollars in compensation to vaccine injured and vaccine deceased, the families of the deceased. So how can you then shoot the messenger and say, well, Ozzy Kozak, we're going to punish him. We're going to take down his channel. And it's a terrible precedent to set. There are many other people out there. I mean, big farmers got plenty of money. Let them foot the bill. I'd love to see the relationship between the big tech, big pharma, Google, Facebook, how they were censoring all of us who were speaking up in those days. And that's just the beginning uh, of then what we're facing now with the other rest of the censorship. You mentioned, Rain, that you've been an anti-war activist for a very long time. And Julian Assange was one of the first to make note of the endless wars concept, the endless wars of the United States military-industrial complex. They don't care about a winner and a loser. They don't really mind at the end of the day who wins, whether it's uh, this tribe or that tribe, or it's that country or this country. Their main goal is just to keep the wars going to keep yes. the money flowing, to keep the bullets being produced, the ammunition being produced. And Australia, unfortunately, Australia is part of that system. Yep, we sure are. There are a bunch of um, activists that were there for McBride's trial. They went into the Australian Defence um, Exports Office in Canberra, held a little occupation in there for about half an hour with their signs and things. So, And they're doing all sorts of stuff like that at the moment because a lot of people don't know we are exporting. We are exporting weapons now. We didn't used to. Well, not not like now. We used to export, like, um, you know, on the big trucks or tanks, the mounts for the guns to sit on top of, the mounts. But now we're doing other stuff. We've got drone technology happening. We've got the bloody, have you heard of the Avalon Air Show? In Geelong, yeah. 
Yeah, you know that that's really a front for an arms trade. Absolutely, the, arms, the showcase their new technology there. and so forth. Yeah, but look, yeah. it's it's okay if we're exporting weapons. You know, I'm a patriot of Australia. I was born here. Uh, as far as the media is concerned, I'm a Russian propaganda agent. But really, <laughs> I've got a soft spot for this country too because I'm an Aussie, right? You know, my yes, my yes. great great parents are buried here in this country. Where we've been here for generations, right? Uh, I'm concerned about Australia also, and I don't mind if Australia makes money and if Australia sells weapons. But when Australia is just giving weapons away, it's not really an export, is it? Export entails a transaction and some type of benefit to our economy. And there's nothing wrong with that, really. But when we're just giving away the cream of the crop, we're giving away the weapons, which we uh, have a shortage of themselves. And I've said this so many times on our show and those people who've been listening uh, to the Aussie Kozak show for years, the regulars, the uh, the originals, and I know you're out there and give, give us a call, 1-800-670-310 to say hello. You would have you would have heard and seen from day one we were saying on this channel on this show uh, on team d radio the aussie cossack show do not give away weapons leave australia's weapons to be we don't need to do anything we don't need to supply any weapons so we're supplied weapons to ukraine we've lost uh what is it 80 out of uh 160 i think uh m one um armor personnel carriers do we have a weapon surplus of course we don't we need every single weapon we can that we can get now we've got uh uh, more contributions to Israel, which I found outrageous. As if oh, the it's outrageous. I mean, as if the American fleet, with all the aircraft carriers uh, stationed off the coast of Palestine, doesn't have enough firepower there. Why does Alba need to get involved? Oh, by the way, Rain, I was going to ask you, what do you think of Alba's sort of double standards on here on this issue? Oh, kills me. It killed me to watch my friends, people I love, believe that Albo was going to get Julian out. They believed it. They put their faith into labour again. They believed he was the one that was going to do it. I'm cynical like that. I don't believe any of these bastards. You know, I'm like, they all say, they're all talk. Okay. They they re re rewind to when Biden was supposed to come to Australia for the quad meeting and we had big protests planned. Yeah. People were saying, oh, Albo's going to tell him, Albo's going to tell Biden. <laughs> and look, I love John Shipton, Julian Assange's father. But even he yes. said to me on this station, on the air, on Team T yes. Radio, that he had faith in Albanese. And I said, John, you've got a lot more faith in him than I do. You're, you yeah. know, you're very optimistic. And he goes, no, 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 I think, you know, Albo's really going to put the foot down. And I could understand maybe John Shipton had a tactic. And on the air, on Team T Radio, yeah, he said yeah. that just before the quad, I found it very highly unlikely that Albo would say that. And, Rain, you would have been then um, someone who was sharing my views on yes. that opinion. Yes. Um, we're going to jump you know, um, to, John, hold on there. We've got, we've got sorry. someone ringing up, uh, on the, on the open line. Stay with us. Uh, okay. we've got Kathy on the line. Uh, Kathy wants to interject. Uh, Kathy, what would you like to say? Oh, hello. It's Kathy Bergen from Consortium News. Um, I heard before, we were just listening to you in the car. We're driving back from Canberra after covering the McBride case. And I just heard you ask if it was true that Julian Assange had helped Snowden defect to Russia, and it's not. What actually happened is that uh, when... There were multiple flights booked for Snowden, but one was going through Moscow. And it just so happens that when he arrived at Moscow, America cancelled his passport and stranded him there. So that's how he ended up in the airport for weeks with Sarah Harrison. They were just in a room in the airport until they were permitted to leave. But his passport was cancelled and he could not travel any further. 
So it wasn't a defection. It was uh, that's that's the way it happened. Well, thank you for your contribution. Thank you for your contribution, Kathy. It's a, it's a, it's a bad line. We'll leave it there. It's a, it's a leave it there. It's a bad line. But look, there you go. We've got a uh, member of the public who just corrected us. Sorry, but I love the word defection. There's something very classy about it. I'll, I'll oh, no. I, I should have said something then. <laughs> I like to use the word defection as much as possible. Uh, and if you, if you want to know what I'm talking about, uh, and if you do have a bit of time over the weekend, Look up a movie called Moscow on the Hudson, 1980, starring Robin Williams. It's an American movie. I love it. It's my favorite movie. I probably know the movie off by heart. Uh, we should do a special episode one day and watch it together. So if you are, if you've got a few hours spare, it, it sort of it's in two parts. The first part is my favorite. The second part, it's a bit um, uh, not so exciting. Uh, but it's about the Moscow Circus who travels to New York to perform. And one of the uh, circus performers, a musician who's played by Robin Williams, uh, defects in, of all places, Bloomingdale's in New York. Best movie, lovely movie, fantastic. Uh, <laughs> not, not, not really, you know, something that you're going you're gonna to have to focus if, you, if you've got a short attention span. It's not the best movie for you to watch. But if you've got a nice uh, Sunday afternoon viewing, uh, remember the days of watching the Sunday afternoon movie? The midday movie. Uh, what happened to those days? Remember, there was just the cause the atmosphere was quiet. The, the phone wasn't ringing. The TV station, the TV shows were quiet. People sort of stopped watching TV altogether. I don't know about you, but uh, my wife and I haven't watched TV in in years. I mean, we only watch TV if we need to for some specific reason. For example, I don't know, watching the fireworks on New Year's Eve or something like that. But it's not like we'd have the TV on in the background. We'd have TNT Radio on in the background. And speaking of TNT Radio. Uh, it's been a pleasure, Rain. We're going to have to go to a break. Uh, thank you and continue your great work on behalf of Julian. One day he'll be free and one day you'll be able to um, stand tall with him and you've been holding the line. I know it's not easy and I've done a lot and there's many of you out there. Is anyone quickly you'd like to thank before we uh, go to our next uh, segment? Yeah, I do want to thank Kathy and Alison that are in the car right now um, and all the – there's so many women out there Lismore, Yvonne, there's so many, a lot of single mums out there that are just, that know that the, our future of, for our kids is at stake and whatever happens to Julian affects us all. Thank so. you very much, Rain Sinclair, uh, joining us uh, from Melbourne. Uh, stay tuned to TNT Radio. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this break with more. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Thanksgiving's less than a week away, and if you're planning on taking your kids to the Thanksgiving Day Parade, the Macy's Parade in New York City, or watching it on TV with the kids, think again, give serious consideration, because Fox News reports that as of Tuesday, 20,000 outraged people have signed a petition posted by one million moms protesting the inclusion of two Broadway shows in the parade, both of which feature transgender and non-binary performers in major roles. Yes, indeed. Think again. Here's Kristen Wagoner with Alliance Defending Freedom. Just another example of an ideological war that's being waged on families and customers are saying they've had enough, but it seems that corporate brands that were once trusted just still aren't getting the message. So I think you're seeing parents stand up, rise up and say, we're going to parent and we expect our family friendly events to truly be family friendly and not teach our children values that we object to. We need to understand very clearly that these ideologies that are being peddled in films and in our school systems are designed to pit children against their parents. And it's time for parents to not stand on the sidelines 
but to truly use their influence. Folks, don't let your kids be indoctrinated. Find something else to do. Don't let them watch the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Make sure you tune into my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT Radio. She used to dance and dream of a better life, a brighter future. Today, thanks to Children International and friends like you, she dances for the world. Together, we give children in poverty a chance to set their sights high and achieve their dreams. Learn more about Children International and join us in our life-changing work at children.org today. Telling, telling it as it is, the Ozzy Cossack on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back to TNT Radio. Ozzy Cossack with you for a Saturday night uh, in Sydney from the Russian consulate. And uh, we're going to be joined a little bit later on at the beginning of the next hour by a Syrian girl. Syrian girl, as you may have heard, a real name, Maram Susli, but I prefer to call her a Syrian girl. It's got a nice ring to it. Uh, she's uh, uh, quite an expert on the conflict in the Middle East. want to get her views on what's happening over there. One thing I'd like to discuss before the news with all of our listeners, and I understand it's a, it's a very heavy issue uh, that's very divisive in the community, the uh, Palestine-Israel war or Israel's war in Palestine. If you're pro-Israeli, you might call it the Palestine-Hamas war. Uh, or, sorry, should I say the Israel-Hamas war? Many different opinions. Uh, the, the dynamic of this conflict is such that it's it's sort of smashed through all stereotypes. And you can never guess uh, who's on which side these days, who's backing who. Who's more sympathetic to which side? I mean, you've got the left who's now turning on the Western governments after being so loyal to the Western governments for so many years through COVID and these other conflicts, including the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Uh, these, uh, this latest conflict is, is is torn apart any existing uh, stereotypes. It's hard to predict now who's who. For example, on uh, the Aussie Kozak Telegram channel, and head over and subscribe if you're not subscribed to get a constant feed update of the latest news we update that channel with 20 plus a day posts uh, a lot of people sort of turned against me saying oh the Aussie Cossack is too sympathetic to the Palestinians when but how can you not be sympathetic yes of course uh we're not anti-semitic you know the word semi semite uh, concerns Palestinians and Israelis so and uh, the the people of the Jewish faith from that region so to be anti-semitic that's that's a wrong accusation and I don't think you can recall a thing that we've said on this radio station at least on this program the Aussie Kozak show that could be classified as anti-Jewish or anything like that I've always been careful not to be a person of that sort because I don't like Nazis I detest Nazis that's why I detest the Ukrainian Zelensky regime because it's a Nazi regime and they are racists and uh, they uh, believe in their sort of uh, uh, you could say uh, exclusivity or whatever the right word is uh, and they have all the hallmarks of a Nazi regime so the last person you could call a Nazi would be me in that regard and look I've got a lot of friends and maybe now even perhaps ex-friends uh, who are Jewish but I've never gone out of my way be against uh, Israel or the Jewish people, right? What they've done, they've done it to themselves. What they've done in Palestine, they can't blame anyone. Don't blame commentators. Don't blame people on social media. Don't blame the media or don't blame Elon Musk or whoever you'd like to blame next 
on the fact that you're losing support, right? You dig your own uh, fate. You part your own future. When you carpet bomb Palestinian civilians and hospitals and so forth, and you use the excuse of, oh, there's a, there's a, there was a base under those hospitals or there was a secret tunnel. And we'll get to that after the news. Uh, we've got some intel about those so-called weapons cache facilities or secret tunnels underneath hospitals. Uh, stay tuned uh, after the news are coming up and we'll talk about that with a uh, uh, Syrian girl. But for example, the, the amount of flack that Elon Musk is copping for example, just today, breaking news, Apple, Disney, Lionsgate, Paramount and Sony Pictures have suspended advertising uh, on X, formerly known as Twitter, due to statements by the CEO Elon Musk. Musk commentated, uh, commented on a post uh, that said Jewish communities are promoting the same dialectual hatred against white people that they demand to stop against themselves and wrote that uh, uh, the author is telling the truth. Today, Musk tweeted that on Monday, X Corp will be filing a thermonuclear lawsuit against Media Matters and all those who colluded in this fraudulent attack on the X regime or the X company regime, I say, in a cheeky way, because it's not really a regime. It's all about freedom of speech. They can't stand it. They're pulling away from uh, Twitter or X, uh, all these major companies. You know, when the Hollywood companies, when uh, Disney and Paramount Pictures, of course, who controls Hollywood? I'll leave it up to you to guess. I won't say it on the air. Otherwise, I might offend somebody. You can't talk about the truth, can you? Well, uh, Hollywood is a very uh, sharp tool in uh, their shed, and they also have Netflix. They also control a lot of the social media and everything. So it's a it's an unlevel playing field, and Elon Musk is simply leveling that playing field out in a way. I'm not saying he's perfect, and he's certainly not the Messiah, and anyone who thinks he is uh, is severely misguided. Uh, but... Elon Musk, uh, when he's getting attacked for these type of uh, statements, he's actually getting more sympathy uh, than uh, his opponents uh, would like to see. So keep an eye on that story and keep an eye on potential future uh, development in that story of of uh, Twitter losing more of its sponsors. I understand that Musk is running Twitter at a loss. He's actually paying people on Twitter, uh, monetizing their accounts. Uh, Siren Girl's a bit of an expert on Twitter. I'd love to uh, speak to her about this right after the news, what she makes of all of this. But certainly, it's uh, becoming a level playing field. So again, don't blame people. Don't blame, uh, you could say, non-Palestinians or non-Israelis. Don't demand that they take a side, right? That's the Israel Israeli position. Oh, you're not sympathetic to us? That means you're an anti-Semitic person or you're a racist or you're a Nazi. Nonsense, right? You made the decision to bomb Palestine. You made the decision for a land invasion of Gaza. And who knows about 7th of October? Who was behind that? Uh, I don't buy the story that it was just a bunch of disorganized uh, local Palestinians who yesterday were throwing rocks at tanks, and all of a sudden then they're conducting this huge land you know, invasion, catching the Israeli Defense Force and Mossad off guard. I mean, who's that? Who's supposed to believe that? Does anyone out there believe that? Do you disagree with me or do you agree with me? 1-800-670-310 is the open line number. Uh, yeah, I can see in the comment section people are having their say. It's going off. And if you want to join the uh, comment section and have your say on tntradio.live, you are welcome to do so. Uh, we'll, we'll read out a few comments of yours as we go along. Uh, but there are also hundreds of people contributing on Twitter and on Telegram as we speak to the conversation. One thing, you know, these couch warriors like to do, sit on the couch and say, oh, you know, Aussie Cossack, how dare he say that? How dare he say this? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, ring me up, tell me, 
face the music and let's have a chat people in the comments section people in the comments saying they want to move to russia transformers from now on very funny putin is the only current head of country who actually speaks sense and truth nazis all over the world put a good word in for me to putin for citizenship well uh what can i say if you're interested in moving to russia and you're interested in that mr ted in the comment section i suggest you visit moving to russia.ru that's www.movingtorussia.ru uh stay tuned back after the news with more on the aussie cossack show